and next week, and then we're going to start a new series, and we have two weeks until our anniversary Sunday, and our church is turning two whole hands. That's really excited. I'm fired up about that. Ten years old, uh, which is going to be amazing. We sent out a letter this week uh, that, that gave you a list of all the fun things we're going to do to celebrate our anniversary. I hope you're... Um, filled with joy at the fact that God has really given us 10 years of his favor, and we look forward to 10 more years and more beyond that. Uh, So today we're going to be in Romans chapter 15. You can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15 as we uh, close out the series in Romans. And I told you last week that I am preaching way too many verses. I mean, as we close out the book, uh, part of the reason is because the Apostle Paul is giving all of these things that he's already said. So we've like camped on them already and he's giving a lot of reminders. But part of it is too is I only have two weeks left so I have to cover a lot of ground. So I made you promise last week you wouldn't tell my preaching uh, teacher from Moody Bible Institute, you know, if he asks you, just be like, oh yeah, he's only preaching like two verses a week, maybe three, right? <laughs> so, but we are going to um, absolutely cover everything in the text Uh, together, but we're going to skip along the surface here. What we find here today is a list of what I would call healthy church ingredients. If we want our church to be healthy and strong, these are the ingredients that we all have to pour in the mix. I don't know about you, but we've got three kids and fall is crazy, and so Lauren and I will sit down and we'll lay out the fall, we'll lay out our weeks, and uh, so one of my responsibilities is I'm going to cook dinner on Mondays and Wednesday nights, Um, and uh, so so that started uh, a few weeks ago. And I um, looked in the fridge, and I was like, well, hey, what's this? And Lauren told me that she ordered this. Uh, she got some huge discount, like 50% off this, uh, this thing where they, they send, like, a few dinners to your house. You put them in the fridge, and they're just ready to be made. And because she got the giant discount, she just went with, like, the one month of them. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try and make that. And I started pulling out all of the ingredients that came with this thing and laid it all out, and it, like, covered every inch of counter space. And then I pulled out the instructions And there were 24 steps to making this dinner. Okay, and so I was looking at this, and then I noticed at the bottom that it said skill level expert. And I was like, I'm skill level mac and cheese. And this is a skill level expert. And so I I thought, well, I can't put everything back in the fridge, right? So I just kind of started working on it, and somehow Lauren knew... I needed help. I didn't say it because I'm a man, you know, and I'm going to figure this out. Somehow she, like I've seen Beauty and the Beast where the kitchen talks and maybe a spoon like hopped over and was like, he needs help. But anyway, she came over and she started helping me. So we, this whole like amazing steak dinner was like 24 steps. And there we were with all of these ingredients. I couldn't even pronounce some of these ingredients. We're like chopping stuff and mixing and frying and stirring. And then at the end of like an hour, we had this really amazing dinner that blew the whole family away. And I was like, wow. Now, when it comes to church, um, it's just not going to be amazing on its own, right? And if we're trying to like put mac and cheese level effort, we're going to get mac and cheese level church. Am I right? And if, but if we really find out what the Bible says about the ingredients that all of us have to be mixing in together, look, this is skill level expert, all right? But if we're all doing our part, we could really form together a church uh, that is really healthy and really amazing, and all of us have to own that responsibility. So in Romans chapter 15, we're just going to, we're going to read a list, a series of, of ingredients that we all have to pour in um, and I, I put together four of them that really rise to the top here that we're going to see uh, in this text. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Lord Jesus, your church is your church, 
And you are the head of the body. You are the one building up your church. And uh, Lord, we will prevail against the gates of darkness, against the kingdom of hell. But we ask that you would help us to know how to build your church strong and healthy. We know that won't happen by accident, and we know it certainly won't happen if we fail to heed your word. So show us as a church, uh, Lord, as we are celebrating 10 years of your faithfulness, show us the recipe for the next 10 years so that we can become strong and healthy and impactful. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, in Romans chapter 15, verse 1, uh, here's what it says. It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Now, that's a verse that transitions out of last week where we talked about gray areas. And uh, if you're curious what this whole strong, weak means, you got to listen to last week's sermon about gray areas and how we uh, love one another in areas that are not clear in the Bible. Then it goes on to say, uh, not to please ourselves. So now he transitions into talking about love in Christian community. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. His neighbor, his good, build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to put it simply, you can write this down if you're taking notes in your bulletin. Uh, number one, the first ingredient we have to build into the church is love. And that means build others up. We have to pour love into the mix every week if we want to be a healthy and effective church. Build others up. Usually, when we talk about love, we refer to romantic love, right? Oh, I love her. Oh, I love him, right? With hearts in your eyes. Uh, my daughter, Cassie, got a new job last week, and she is working at Sandbox with kids after school in an after-school program. And so, like one of her first days on the job, a six-year-old boy walked up to her and said, I've got four girlfriends, and you're one of them. <laughs> Cassie was like, oh, do you now? Six-year-old boy. And then one of this boy's friends came up and said, uh, he said you're hot. And this boy goes, I didn't say she's hot. I said she's beautiful. <laughs> so cute. When you think about love, usually we think about love, right? Love. Well, the Bible's not talking about that. The Bible's talking about love in fellowship uh, between brothers and sisters in Christ. And it says in verse 2, it describes what this love is like. Let's, let each of us please his, uh, not himself, but his neighbor for his good to build him up. So we know who your neighbor is biblically. It's everyone, even your worst enemy. Uh, for his good, meaning it's better for them, and then to build them up, which is a portrait of maturity and improvement and help. That's what love is. So how are we doing at building others up? How are we doing at acting toward our neighbor for their good? Not living the selfish life, not coming to see what we can get from other people, but, but to become givers in general who really want to help other people um, in church and in life. It says in verse 3, Christ did not please himself. So now the Apostle Paul is like, exhibit A, the love of Christ. And it says he did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he quotes Psalm 69.9, which refers to the cross. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus was willing to take poor treatment 
uh, to suffer and die for, for the Lord in submission to the Father. He endured horrible treatment, and then he showed love even for those who crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus gives us the greatest expression and, and example of love that the world could ever see. And that is the way that we're supposed to love other people. When it comes to love, uh, this is a call away from being isolated from other people. Uh, we are called to integrate into community. Jesus needed nothing from other people. Jesus was not sitting in heaven from eternity past looking down and saying, man, I really need that in my life, uh, right? Frankly, he wasn't looking down at the people and thinking to himself, I really need those people in my kingdom forever and ever and ever. Or I'm not going to feel fulfilled, All right? He was lacking nothing. It was the fullness of love, not the lack of something, that drove Christ not only to the manger, but to the cross. And when we see that it was the love of Christ that, that motivated Christ to come into the world and to die on the cross for us, that he wasn't here to take, but that he was here to give, that should transform our hearts. Uh, somebody said, I read it on Facebook this week, you know, don't love to be loved, love because you have been loved. It's the fullness of the love of God seen in Christ that will make you a more loving person. In the end, if you're just trying to build your own image up or build your own reputation up or increase your own resources in life, that's not really biblical love. Christ gives us the ultimate example. When it comes to the question, am I being loving, that question is synonymous with, am I sacrificing? So if you want to evaluate your own soul, am I loving? You have to ask yourself this question, am I sacrificing? Christ on the cross is a portrait of sacrifice. Too often, Christians, we feel like because we like the people we sit next to in church, oh, I like them, oh, I like her, that's it, check! Oh, I like him, that's not love. If there's not sacrifice, it's not biblical love. And that includes knowing the person, meaning knowing their name, you know, caring about their needs, there's a heart piece, and then helping them. Sacrifice is what Christian love is all about. Rabbi Zechariah said this, love and sacrifice go together. And in the spending of love is the enriching of the spirit. The more one consumes love selfishly, the more wretched and impoverished one becomes. What a great portrait of not becoming a taker, not becoming a connoisseur of who I'm going to allow into my life, but a giver. I'm going to spend myself certainly for my family and for my church family. In verse 5, it says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live such, in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. There's a harmony in community that together you may with one voice, one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a portrait of unity and harmony that reaches across racial and cultural lines in the New Testament. Uh, and, and describes the church as being lockstep, right? When I, was, uh, when I was in high school, I was in the marching band, and you had to learn your, your, not only the part you were playing to be in the same key with everyone else, but you had to learn where you were standing, and man, if you took a wrong turn, a tuba player is just going to mow you down. And, and that portrait of a marching band, kind of knowing where they are on the field, in the group, getting to their spot, playing their part, that's, that's what the church should be like. It doesn't mean we're all the same, it's not uniformity, uh, but it means we're all united with one voice. Love. Build others up. Just like love prompted Christ to enter into the broken, fallen, dark world with the love of heaven, so Christ is sending us out. 
to enter the broken, fallen world with the love of heaven. And that love starts in your heart, and then it spreads to your house, and then it spreads to your church. And we must fill the church with the love of Christ, and then it spills over into the world. Love. Build one another's up. The truth is we need each other. We cannot live the Christian life away from others in isolation. This is a call away from Lone Ranger Christianity, from chronic church hopping, where we never fully put roots down, where we never form loving connections with other people. We can't do it alone. Uh, recently, a handful of people from our church did a Tough Mudder obstacle race. It's my first time I ever did it. Uh, and, and I've got a picture here of Pastor Mark running through one of those obstacles. This one is called electroshock therapy. Those are shock wires hanging down, and you have to run through as fast as you can in the mud while you're getting zapped. And, and uh, these obstacles are set up, though, so you can't do them on your own. You need each other. So this next picture shows an obstacle that was really hard. There's Pastor Mark again. The way it works is that big like block thing um, circles slowly in the water, and you can't turn it on your own. So the people on Mark's side have to hold on, and then the people on the other side pull it down, which jerks you over slowly. So here's a few more pictures. Uh, but when you're on top, you have to turn around real quickly. Otherwise, it keeps turning, and you can show the next picture. And if you're not ready, you go face first into the mud. And there's me on the right, and, and here's another picture, an action shot, and there she disappears into the mud right beneath. And I think there's one more picture. Uh, but what you, maybe not, what you see there is teamwork. We're working together because we can't do it alone. And look, in the church, we're supposed to be helping each other, right? I'll pull it, you grab on, and then come on over. And, uh, and sometimes it gets dirty, sometimes it gets muddy, sometimes it gets messy in community. But look, we need each other. We have to help each other. And at the beginning of this obstacle course, they made everyone at the starting line, like, raise the right hand, repeat after me. This is not a race. This is not a race. I cannot do this alone. I cannot do this alone. I will help my brother. And say, I will help. My... And I'm thinking, we should say this every week Sunday morning at church. Raise your right hand. This is not a race. You are not able to do this alone. Right? I'm going to get muddied helping other people. Like, things would be a lot better if we made that pledge to one another. Love, build one another's up. Our primary way of connecting people in love is in small groups, doing life together. Getting into a small group here at Anchor Payless, I got it right, is the way that you can know what's going on in people's lives. Know their names. It's the way, the place where you can care about them. It's the way where you can help them. And, you know, so often when people come to our church, they get into a small group, and something happens, they're in the hospital or whatever, and then people from their small group are showing up visiting them, and they're like, this is such a loving church. And I'd really encourage you as we head into the fall, uh, make time, make it a priority to get into community. That's how you will pour love into the mix. That's how you will pull love out and, and stir it into what we're building here. It's in small groups. Without love, our church will grow cold, dead, lifeless, full of rules, full of hypocrites who don't care about each other or the world. And we want to go for more than that. We want to go for love. So number one, love, build others up. Number two, jot this down, truth, base everything on the promises of God. So look back at verse four, where it says, for whatever was written in former days. So now we're looking back to the Old Testament. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So instruction in the Old Testament is still, is still really good. When I had a, a class on the Old Testament in seminary, the professor said, how much of the Old Testament still applies to the Christian life? And we were all like, no, no. And he's like, technically all of it. All of it is a revelation of God 
that shows us his will, his nature, his character, and history, and shows us his moral law. He's like, in another sense, none of it, all of it and none of it, because Jesus fulfilled it. And therefore, you can't just jump into the Old Testament and say, I'm going to do it exactly as it says, right, and eat the diet. And, well, no, that doesn't exactly apply to you. But it's not because it's canceled. It's because it's fulfilled. Right? It's fulfilled. So we can now rest in the fulfillment of the Old Testament and learn the things that are still eternally true about our God and our coming Savior who is prophesied in the Old Testament while living out the redeemed life as prescribed in the New Testament. And so the Apostle Paul was very careful to not tell people, Christianity is here, Old Testament canceled, New Testament start. Like, no, the truth of God is still uh, load-bearing for every believer in every church, and we have to base everything on the promises of God. That includes instruction. It says instruction here that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So we need the truth of God in our church. We need to pour that in. We need to mix that in. We need to, every week, one of our pillars here as a church is proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. You know, we go verse by verse through the Bible, and we hear what God has to say. And, and that, really what I aim for each week is, I pray on Tuesday when I start my sermon, Lord, give me an encounter with the risen Lord in your word this week. And then I say, give your people an encounter with the risen Lord in your word this week. Now, I can't force that. I can, I can share stories, and I can share facts, and I can show pictures and all that. But look, I want more than that. Once the recipe has all been done, I want you to encounter the risen Lord in His Word. And that's why instruction has to happen. Through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. It says here in verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Therefore... Welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcoming one another includes welcoming those who are different from you. It goes on in verse 8 to say, For I tell you that Christ Jesus became a servant to the circumcised, those are the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. The patriarchs were the founding fathers of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right, and then the twelve tribes and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So he starts quoting Old Testament verses here, right? Psalm 18, 49. So you got David saying this. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And so now you have Deuteronomy 32, 43. So Moses is saying this. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Now you've got Psalm 117.1, another psalmist saying this. And then again, Isaiah says, so now Isaiah the prophet, the root of Jesse will come, and he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Why is he quoting all these verses? Well, he wants, to, he wants us to see that the truth of God is being fulfilled in the New Testament, not canceled. 
And the truth of God prophesied that Jew and Gentile alike would form a kingdom of God's people for God's glory, filled with God's spirit. Do you see how the love and the truth in the Bible just are so, he's just going right from one to the other, the truth and the love. The truth, and the, the truth said the Gentiles would come in, now you have to love each other. The truth and the love both have to be mixed in, right, at the same time. Base everything on the promises of God, and he's looking back to promises that were made hundreds of years before Christ, saying, look, this is being fulfilled in your Christian church community right now. Base everything on the promises of God. It goes on to say in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So there's an instruction again. Look, look, we've got the word of God. We're instructing one another in truth. That's where the love is coming from. But on some points, he says, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. Now, here's hard words of instruction. Here's tough, challenging things. You know, he, here's Paul exhorting the Christian church, and that's what we're to do with each other. So we have to base everything on the promises of God, using the Old Testament and the New, seeing the fulfillment of Scripture as the way God manifests His glory. And what I, what I see here is the Apostle Paul had a lot of people in his day who were challenging him, you're getting rid of the Bible. You're changing what Moses said. All these filthy non-Jewish people are coming to your services and you should be ashamed of yourself. And I kind of imagine the Apostle Paul having these people who are challenging him in the room with all the Old Testament authors, right? So imagine Isaiah's there, David's there, and Moses is there, and then Paul's opponents are there and, and his opponents go to the Old Testament authors and they're like... Guess what? He's letting Gentiles into the services of worship. And these people were expecting the Old Testament authors to be like, Ugh! but instead, you've got David, and you've got Isaiah, and, you, and you've got, and you've got uh, Moses saying, duh, that's what we wrote about. That's what we said would happen. And Paul is vindicating himself in the eyes of the, there's a lot of racism and a lot of nationalism creating conflict in Paul's day. And Paul's like, look, this is exactly what the Old Testament said would happen. Jew and Gentile together, that's the truth. Here's a picture of the temple in Jesus' day. And just to tell you how crazy the racism got, uh, you know, you've got the outer court there, and then you've got the inner court, then you've got the Holy of Holies, which is the big tall building, right? And... Uh, that wall that runs right along the side there, you see that tiny little wall? That, that was the wall that had signs on it that said, warning, Gentiles are not to pass on penalty of death. Which means if you and I, who are not Jewish, wanted to go and worship God in the Old Testament, and we just strolled right into the Holy of Holies, we would be killed. Killed on the spot. You were not allowed to draw near to God, right? And then Jesus came in, and what did he do? He tore that curtain in two. Right, the curtain was torn in two after he rose again, saying, all are welcome into the holiest place, Jew and Gentile alike. And so truth is based everything on the promises of God. Without truth, we wouldn't know the nature of God or the plan of God or how to join in the family of God. Without truth, our church would become mindless, irrational, worldly, and defeated, full of self-indulgent sympathy that shows no fear of God in a godless generation. Without truth, that's what we would become. But here's the thing, if the truth doesn't produce love, we'll build rigid, divided, godless factions. 
that ultimately make the world a colder place, we'll miss the heart of God. And if we do not love as a church, we will become nothing heavenly. That's not what the truth is there for. The truth is not there to turn us into statues of stone. The truth is there to turn us into a family. So number one, love, build others up. And, and right on top of that, he's pouring in truth, based everything on the promises of God. Number three, jot this down, joy. Worship God because of his mercy in Christ. Joy, worship God because of his mercy in Christ. Check out verse 9. It says in verse 9, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So there's praise, there's glory, there's worship. It talks about the joy found in worshiping Christ. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. These are really loud words. These are really happy words. These are really joyful words. God's will is that the truth of Christ and the love of Christ would produce the joy of Christ in your heart and mine. And together, when we get together every week, we're pouring joy into the batter. We're pouring joy into the mix. We're like, you know, we're pouring it out. It's a call to joy. To worship God because of His mercy in Christ. Uh, you remember the uh, commercials with Peyton Manning, right? Papa John's pizza. What do they say? Better ingredients, better pizza. It tastes like cardboard. Am I right? I mean, they tried it in Chicago and it didn't work out. <laughs> right down the street there was one. They gone, which is good. But they, what they say is actually good. Better ingredients, better pizza. Papa John's, right. And I feel like the Apostle Paul is saying here, like, biblical ingredients, better church. Apostle Paul, right? And it's true. Biblical ingredients, better church. Uh, but look, if we go easy on the joy, if when we get to that part of the recipe as a joy, it's like eh, just a dash, just a pinch, the tiniest amount, right? Then we're not going to be a healthy, vibrant, lively church. If, if when it comes to, to Sunday morning, you don't throw your whole soul into it, as Spurgeon said, right? then the fire is not going to really roar and people aren't going to see the mercy of God filling our hearts. Joy is a call to worship because of His mercy in Christ. Verse 13 talks about the joy and how it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means this is much more than faking it. This is much more than forcing it. This is God's Spirit welling up inside of you. This refers to being saved and sanctified. So praise proves God saved you and praise proved God's changed you. When he saves you, you sing for joy. When he changes you, you sing for joy. That's what fills you with the desire to praise how much he's done in you and how much he's done for you and praise the Lord. His mercies are new every morning to the child of God. Hey, are you glad to come to church? Sunday morning when you wake up, are you glad to come to church? Sunday night, when student ministry is about to begin, are you, are you glad to come to church? Are you glad to come to church? Yes. 
church should be running in a way where it doesn't work against your joy, but if there's a lot of conditions that have to be met before you will pour the joy in, I've got a few heart-searching questions for you. If you're not glad to come to church, could it be that your standards are too low? Could it be that you're not expecting enough? I want a good parking spot. I want good music. I want a short sermon and I want a quick exit. And if I get it, then I'll smile on the way out of the lot. Brother, you're aiming way too low. Way too low. Way too low. Why don't you ask and demand that God speak to you? That every week He changes you. That He tells you something you're going to need to get through this week. Why don't you come asking more than you've ever asked of a holy God? Why don't you raise your... Maybe your joy isn't there because you're demanding way too little of an almighty, eternal God. And maybe you need to admit that, God, I've been asking too little of you. Maybe your standards are too low. Maybe you need to come asking for Him to protect you. And man, will the joy fill your heart when God shows up. Could it be that you're not excited to come to church because you're too distracted? That as soon as you sit down, the worries pile up and worry, 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 worry. How's this going to come together? And your mind is just all service long filled with what you have to do and what happened last week. And you're just trying to, you're just trying to make sure the universe keeps running while you try and get to church as if the world needed your worries to function better, right? As if the world really needed what you had to share with it to actually get the job done, that's a funny thought of thinking earth setting out a suggestion box right earth setting out a suggestion box and those of us who struggle with anxiety would go and stand in line so we could shove our comments in the box of how the world should be working right funny thought be funny if like earth launched a hotline planet earth how can you help me What's that, Martha? You think everything's out of control? Aren't you in church? Is that praise I hear in the background? All right, we'll write down your 15 ways that you're telling me I could do better at ruling the cosmos. Maybe you're worrying too much, all right? God loves you, but if you had never been born, the world would be running perfectly right now without you. Let's put ourselves in our place, right? God doesn't need your suggestions, and he certainly doesn't need your worries. Maybe you're worried. Worry, worry, worry steals your worship. It does. Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but only one is required. This many. Without joy, our church will burn people out as they work tirelessly for Christ, because they'll miss why we do it. Without joy, we'll go through the motions, but not out of love for Christ. We'll end up being ungrateful, entitled. Love will go out. Truth will go out. Joy means to worship God because of His mercy in Christ. One of our pillars here is worship. Worship. Lifting high the name of Jesus. Right. Lifting high the name of Jesus. And I would just challenge you when you show up on Sunday morning... Bring a heart full of praise for the Lord. 
bring it. Bring it. Bring a heart full of praise and then pour it in the mix. No matter the week you've had. Number one, love. Number two, truth. Number three, joy. Number four, evangelism. Go and make disciples of all nations. And this is kind of the fire. I see this kind of as less of an ingredient, more of a fire that kind of cooks everything. It says in verse 16, uh, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Gospel means good news. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. So he's describing himself as like a priest bringing offerings before God. And what are the offerings? Uh, Gentile converts, people who have been born again. So my my mediating role, Paul's talking about, and he he calls all this rich temple imagery in the Old Testament here. And what what am I bringing into the Holy of Holies? What am I, not an animal anymore, save souls, sinners who've been redeemed. All right, next, you get in there. All right, you go in there, right? Living sacrifices. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So who's doing the work? Christ. Not Paul. Christ accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders. By the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. So he quotes Isaiah 52, 15 there. Paul was on mission and the church must be on mission to go and make disciples of all nations. We have to have a passion for souls. This is the fire that will help everything to come together. In verse 16, gospel means good news, which means it's news that must be shared with others and embraced. In verse 18, it refers to Christ accomplishing the work. He just is a messenger, and Paul himself was saved in a miraculous manner. Jesus appeared to him, right, from heaven, blinded his eyes, led him down into town. And then, and then Christian laid his hands on, on Paul and Gave him his sight back. And he was once blind, but now he sees. And then he was baptized and sent to the Gentiles. This is a saved man. And evangelism means we're bringing the good news to the ends of the earth to see people saved. Hey, do you have a heart to see other people saved? Has the fire of evangelism gone out in your faith? One of our pillars is evangelism. Sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. And we believe that people need to hear the gospel of God in order to be saved today. And when it comes to evangelism, it's so easy for that fire to go out. We lose heart. We lose hope. that They're never going to get saved. They don't care. And I've told them so many times. I've invited them to church so many times. And maybe you're losing heart. Maybe you're losing heart. Maybe you hear this verse here about how signs and wonders were done, right, in Paul's day. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Oh, yeah, if that would happen, then my aunt would get saved, right? But, um... Did you read the New Testament where signs and wonders happen? Surprise results doesn't convince the unconvinced, does it? Does it? In fact, it says in the Bible that even if someone rises from the dead, they may not believe. Meaning people rarely have an evidence problem. It's rarely that they have a lack of evidence. It's more often than not that they have a hard heart. 
So, so don't say to yourself, oh, it would, it would take a mountain moving to save that person. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. The gospel is strong enough to save every single person in your entire life. The simple message that could be understood by a child, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that's all it takes to save the vilest offender in your life. Don't think God is coming up short in trying to reach your loved ones. That's not true. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. God will authenticate His message by His Spirit in ways today that will convince those who will respond. Your job is just to be a messenger. And our job as a church is to have that fire, to have that ambition to see the gospel preached to all nations. But it does start with a love for the lost. And let me, this, let me just dig into your heart for a second and tell you this. Do you believe in hell? Do you believe in hell? Do you believe that you deserve to go there? Do you believe that hell is your fault? Do you believe that others in your life deserve to go there? Too often our fire goes out for evangelism because, listen, we free ourselves from the burden of believing in hell. Look, when you free yourself from the burden of believing in hell, you're not helping anyone on your street. You're only helping you. You're only helping you. If you free yourself from the burden of the belief in hell, you're only helping you. You're not helping anybody else. We've got to stare at that fire and know that people are there today and weep and then share the good news. That's how it happens. That fire has to be roaring. I like what Charles Spurgeon said, which has been a blessing to me. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. <laughs> Amen. We've got to keep that fire roaring, that fire of evangelism roaring. Without evangelism, our church will become a holy huddle, worrying more about ourselves, our comfort, our security, than the eternal salvation of the lost. We'll grow passive, harmless to the kingdom of darkness, aloof and angry at the state of the world, thinking the problem out there is their problem. Asleep on the treasure of Christ, while the world languishes in spiritual bankruptcy. Our church needs each one of us to pour these ingredients in every week. Hey, will you help your church become more loving? Will you, will you bring it every week and pour it into the mix? Will you help your church become more truthful? Will you base everything you do and say on the promises of God and help others to be instructed and corrected? Hey, will you bring the fullness of joy with you every week? Will you pour that in? Will you, will you make the community of Christ a more joyful place? Hey, will you bring evangelism, a heart for the lost, to your small group, to your workplace, to your family? Will you talk to your children about the desire to see your loved ones saved from eternity of torment? If we pour in, in abundance, love, truth, joy, and evangelism, hey, this is, this is skill level expert, but if we pour these things in, and we mix it around, and we bake it together. Look, this is going to be healthy, this is going to be vibrant, and the world will be different because of us. That's what we're going for. Let's take all this to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to help us become the church that He desires. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, you are building your church. You're building it to be a loving place, a joyful place, a strong place filled with truth, sent to the ends of the earth. And Lord, we ask that you would be the one to help each one of us to know our part, uh, to avoid thinking church is about us. Church isn't about us. Church is about God. Help us to avoid trying to turn it into a cruise ship for our comfort. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to get busy building up other people for your glory, uh, reaching across cultural and racial barriers, bringing the truth the life-saving message of the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And Lord, we look ahead to the next 10 years and 20 years and 30 years, and we pray that these would be the things that make our church heavenly. We pray that you would be the one to establish us and bless us and favor us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.